Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'm just grateful that you are joining me for this very important conversation. Well, here we are just a few days, about a week or so after the leak uh, that has rocked our country with regards to this Supreme Court deliberation and this early draft of a decision that seems to indicate that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned. And so this has been the goal of the pro-life movement since 1973. And so here we are finally on the precipice of this actually happening. So joining me on the podcast today is Ben Clapper, who is the executive director of Louisiana Right to Life, to be able to talk about what happened with this leak. Well, even before then, what is this Mississippi law that the Supreme Court took on? Why did they decide to take it on? And, and what is the implications of this? How is this really going to impact abortions access in our country? And what are the next steps? What are the things that we need to do? Uh, this is not a federal ban on abortion. Is that even a possibility? And how do we bring this back to the states to be able to actually encourage democracy in conversation, in deliberation, to be able to move towards a greater society that um, honors women and the dignity of life and, and that we can genuinely be able to take care of one another in a better way. So this conversation is free flowing. We get into a lot of different topics with regards to to what happened with the leak, um, its impact on our country, but then also just the deeper notions of human freedom that are really being de debated right now with regards to uh, with regards to this conversation about abortion. So. It's a good episode. You're going to love it. If you find it helpful and, and engaging in some way, then please share it with family or friends or on social media. Let others know about the good work that's being done here on this podcast. So, but let's get into this conversation with Ben Clapper. Ben Clapper, welcome to the Always Hope podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Mario. Glad to be on and honored to be here with you and an exciting week and just glad to share with you about it. Yeah, well, so uh, lots happened this week. <laughs> so so just how has it been for you? You're the executive director of Pro-Life Louisiana. I'm sure this week has been crazy for you. Just what are your what's your initial kind of take and thoughts on on the leak and what's happening? Yeah, well, you know, I was it was Monday night, you know, and I was on the other side of my house and usually my phone, I try best I can to keep it away. And I just happened to pass it and I saw, uh, you know, like 37 text messages. And I was like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I thought it was just the people doing the little heart and like on someone else's text message on a group chain. But then I started looking at it and I, I was just, I, at first I was bewildered, confused. I, you know, I've been somewhat assuming that the end of June, beginning of July is when we're going to get this decision. So at first I, I thought it was honestly, I thought it was a joke of mm -hmm. some sort or, you know, some website that does these spoofs or anything like that. And then as I began reading it and looking at it, I was just like, oh, oh my goodness, is this, what, what is this, you know? So it took time to adjust, then my phone started ringing. And uh, so it kind of took some time to sink in what this was about. I think it was Tuesday when uh, I was actually in the Capitol in the halls of the Capitol and we got the word when Chief Justice Roberts sent out that statement saying that it was an authentic draft. And then it became pretty real for me I, at that moment. Of course, we don't know what the final decision and something could change. Crazy things have happened at the Supreme Court, but it certainly makes you feel it's going to be hard for any of those justices to change their mind right now, especially with the public attention on this, so, uh, you know, still cautious, but just 
you know, this feeling of, of, of joy kind of wells up that, you know, you know, our organization was, you know, people on my board were there in 1973 when this decision happened. You know, I have the press release from our organization from January 30th, 1973, you know, a few days after Roe v. Wade and just uh, everything and the history of our organization and, and our people and our cause. It uh, certainly is just a feeling of excitement that, you know, we could be on the cusp of, of, of restoring this legal protection for a whole class of human citizens that's been discriminated against by our federal government and by the Supreme Court. And so that just gives me a lot of excitement. And uh, obviously, I know that there's so much more to do, and which I'm sure we're going to talk about. And certainly, mm -hmm. it's not like we're packing our bags and going home. But still, uh, you know, this is this is what our organization has been committed to. This is what our supporters, our our people, pray and our volunteers. This is what people have been dedicated to. For actually, our organization is founded in 1970, three years before Roe v. Wade. So it uh, is certainly an answer to prayer, and it's a a, a moment of joy that uh, we hope we'll see come to fruition this summer. Yeah, Amen. Well, thank you again for all the good work that you do, and and. Uh you know, for pro-life Louisiana. So, so I guess this is where I want to start, you know, just backtrack a little bit. Look, I'm the dummy in the room. Okay. Okay. And so <laughs> I'm not sure that's true, but uh, <laughs> well, let's play the game. Explain to me the Mississippi bill. Okay. What, what is the bill that is, that the Supreme court is actually looking at and uh, why did they feel the need to actually take this, this case up? Well, that is a good question. That last question, that's almost separate, but that uh, so this is a, a law that protects babies at 15 weeks after conception in the state of Mississippi so it's important to even take a further step back and to realize that both Roe v Wade and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey two Supreme Court cases and there's a lot more details in there that we could go into but it's important to know that those two cases established the line of viability which is when an unborn baby could live outside the womb without, uh, you know, yeah, they could live outside the womb. And they kind of use that as a, a line in the sand, right? Of where a state could protect unborn life. Uh, if it's before viability, before the baby can live outside the womb, then the Supreme Court has said in the past that you cannot prohibit abortion. If it's after viability, there are are a certain number of things a state can do at that point. So that's the backdrop. So then you have this law, 15 weeks, that In that age of viability that, before that the Supreme Court stated was what, 24 weeks, 20 well, weeks? Well, it, it, we, it never, it never, it never gave stated. A, it, gave, it never gave a number because that's the whole thing about viability. Oh. That changes well, yeah, as time course. goes on. What, we keep what pushing medical that technology, back. Yeah, mm -hmm. what medical technology can keep a baby outside the womb in 1973 is different than 2022. Right now, it's commonly understood that that's you know between twenty and twenty-four weeks, uh, somewhere in that range. You know, again, it's it's a, a human person is not a math equation, right? Right. Uh, you know, every person is unique and different, and so even viability is going to be unique and different between human persons. So, uh, but that's been the general rule of thumb: twenty to twenty-four weeks, and so a number of states have passed that law. It's in interesting to remember that federal law has no line of when abortion can or can't be done. Hmm. So federal law itself really allows abortion all the way up until birth, though partial birth abortion, the procedure itself is prohibited, but it doesn't stop late-term abortion. Anyway, so that's kind of where we are with the Supreme Court. 
then uh, Mississippi passes this 15-week bill. And, uh, you know, interestingly, there have been other states, in fact, Louisiana in 2016, we passed a dismemberment ban, which means that we're protecting really babies at 14 weeks. Now, that got caught up in federal court. And sometimes with uh, the federal court system, it's just it's almost like one of the I don't even know what what do you call it. But, you know, know, when you drop a ball and it bounces on a lot of the little sticks and it falls into it, you're not sure which uh, kind of <laughs> slot it falls into. Sometimes like the, the when plinko, you do federal plinko, court, whatever it's yeah, called. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, thank you. I don't even know why that came into my head right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe uh, you just watched the prices right before we started. So that's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's right. Every morning. No. <laughs> so, uh, it, uh, so even though we passed that law earlier, this is just happens to be the one that kind of came to the court first. It happened to be the one that came to the Supreme court when justice Barrett had been put on the court. What's amazing about this is so remember Mississippi passed this law, the district federal district court in Mississippi struck it down, which is a is a district court's job because the Supreme Court has a different precedent. So they have to follow the precedent of the Supreme Court. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals based in New Orleans struck the Mississippi law down again because of the Supreme Court precedent. So all the Supreme Court had to do was deny the writ, which means that a a Mississippi appealed to the Supreme Court and said, please review this law. All the Supreme Court had to do is say writ denied and this would have gone away about 90 percent of all cases that come to the supreme court the writ is denied and you never hear it anymore they basically affirm the lower court's ruling so the fact that the supreme court even took this case up is remarkable they needed four justices to take that case in within the body of the supreme court uh uh, just kind of a, a supreme court nerd fact the supreme court sets on their schedule um, hearings where they deliberate internally about whether they're going to take a case. Well, they rescheduled this debate inside chambers of, I think it's 12 or 13 times. Almost unheard of. Hmm. It's clear from that to me that these justices knew what they were getting into when they accepted this case. That's long before there were briefs, long before there was an argument on December 1st of last year. Um, so Four justices accepted this case. I think they wouldn't have accepted it if they didn't know they had a fifth vote at least. So that's just my reading. And I said that before the leak. So uh, Mm -hmm. obviously hindsight is 2020. So we can all say what we thought now. But anyway, so the Supreme Court elected to take it up. and, And the Supreme Court has never accepted a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. Even the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case in 1992, it started as a case about uh, uh, spousal and parental consent for abortion. And the Supreme Court then uh, grew the case into a challenge of Roe, not intended to be. This the Supreme Court accepted uh, asking the question, are pre-viability abortions unconstitutional? They asked that question, and it's looking like they're in the process of answering that question. So. Uh, I hope that didn't confuse everybody. Even Let me try to recap. It. Let me try to recap. Okay, everything right, you just said. So, so what you're saying is that uh, the Supreme Court has stated that um, abortions are allowed up until an age of viability, without ever defining what the age of viability is, but stating right, something to say, the effect. Correct. That's right. Yeah, and they basically not that it's allowed, but that the state can take action if they want to. The state can take action. What do you mean that they can take action? Well, to... I get that it's not a federal law. Is what right, I'm right. There's no that, federal law. Right. That the state. Right. So basically, if a state wants to protect 
life after viability they can but not before but not before that's it right okay and so then this case because 15 weeks is is seen as before the age of viability is a direct uh affront to that to that ruling of roe versus wade is that correct that's correct yeah and so so they they took this case on knowing that they had the fifth vote to be able to 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 um to be able to to uh, overturn roe versus wade and so like, but I guess what makes, you kind of said it earlier, but maybe help me understand, what makes this different than the Louisiana bill? Wasn't the Louisiana bill shot down by the Supreme Court a few years ago? So the Louisiana bill was uh, uh, requiring ad- abortion facilities to have admitting privileges okay. for doctors who are doing abortion. So it's a different issue. Different issue. But I mean, it's it, at the Supreme Court is all of right? I, I mean, certainly I think that if we had been a year later there's a chance that we could have been upheld by this court that's there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justice Kennedy, uh, well, uh, well, he actually voted in the Texas case to mm-hmm. strike down, but then Justice Roberts then went with Kennedy, Kennedy had left based on precedent. So it's all about timing, that if our law been at the Supreme Court, when Justice Barrett, we probably would be seeing our law be affirmed right now. Now, that they, they probably would not have overturned Roe v. Wade in the process. So I would say there's some, again, you could say it's random timing or it's God's timing, but it all happened at the right time in the right way. So even though Louisiana's law got struck down, I think the way the court wrote that opinion paved the way towards this opinion right now. So I could, that's maybe for a more detailed conversation. Yeah, no, but I think that's kind of what, maybe we talked about it afterwards um, and you had shared or maybe I read other articles that said something similar. It was kind of the way Justice Roberts wrote uh, the opinion was kind of almost like a, I don't want to say this is this is my language, kind of like a wink to like, hey, we're striking this down on precedent, but almost kind of like here's the roadmap as to what needs to happen. That's right. You know, it was kind of my impression on on, on it. Um, and it seems like Mississippi kind of kind of took that up and uh, and said, all right, well, let's 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 challenge this notion. So where do we go from here? Like, what does this well, mean? Well, I, I think that if, so just the, the, the Supreme Court could have done three basic things, right? They could have reaffirmed Roe v. Wade, and this is uh, talking about Mississippi's law. Mm-hmm. So they done a ringing reaffirmation Roe v. Wade, do that. They could have done a middle ground opinion, upheld the 15-week bill, um, but not overturn Roe v. Wade. Basically, would have had to construct a new jurisprudence surrounding abortion that would have effect, uh, basically allowed Mississippi to enforce that law, but not overturning Roe v. Wade altogether. Or they could do a full overturn of Roe v. Wade, which it's looking like that's what they're doing. Now, uh, what does that? What does overturning Roe v. Wade mean? And again, keep in mind that we don't know what the final decision of the court is going to be. Who, who knows? It could be changed. If Roe v. Wade's overturned, it simply means that the the issue of abortion returns to the states for them to decide. So. Uh, you know, there's been, I, I think, some confusion about whether this means there's some sort of federal ban on abortion. That's not the case. It just simply means that the states can now make the decision. In Louisiana, together with um, some numbers, some people say 24 states, some people say more, uh, that there's going to be a number of states that move to protect all unborn babies in the state by law. And Louisiana would certainly be one of them. In 2006, we passed our Human Life Protection Act, which is commonly referred to as a trigger law, which means that when Roe v. Wade's overturned, 
Louisiana would law would protect babies from abortion. And so we expect if the decision is as clear as Justice Alito's draft, that that would trigger our decision. One thing that we're kind of concerned about, that if the Supreme Court wrote this kind of um, obtruse, uh, vague decision, it would all go back to court for someone to interpret what that actually meant. But Justice Alito's draft is certainly clear and decisive. I think that that's the, if that's what comes out in the final uh, ruling, it would give our chief executive, the governor of the state, clear uh, reason to inform the abortion facilities that they would need to cease and desist operations in the state. Uh, now, I, I'd be willing to bet that they're going to file suit in state or federal court to try to stop to try to stop that in some way. If you remember, in 2020, we passed this Love Life Constitutional Amendment, which is funny because someone the other day was said, hey, you know, Ben, when y'all came up with the idea of doing this constitutional amendment, I thought you were crazy because Roe v. Wade would never get overturned. You would never need this. But now it's coming to fruition that that is a hedge of protection between our law, our Human Life Protection Act, and uh, and abortion groups that are going to want to say that there's a right to abortion in the Louisiana Constitution. The Love Life Amendment, that can't be the case. And so we don't think they have a lot of legs in the uh, in the state courts, but I would imagine they're going to give it a shot. Yeah. So uh, we got to keep in mind these are three abortion facilities in the state. Who it's their business. This abortion's their livelihood, and um, you know I can't. I have to imagine they're going to try to fight, and maybe they have legal ways in their head right now of what they're going to do that we're not thinking of. We've tried certainly to to think around the issue legally. So um, yeah, from a legal perspective, that's kind of what rolls out in Louisiana at least. Okay, great. Well, Ben, thanks for sharing all of that with regards to, to Louisiana. Now, I know obviously your work is specifically tied here to the state, but you mentioned these other trigger laws that are in effect. And I've seen, like you said, 24, 26 states that are kind of ready to go. Um, does that mean that, I mean, I, I guess this is my question. You know, states that are red already have a number of restrictions. And maybe, like you said, in Louisiana, we only have, what, three abortion clinics is what you said? Um, yeah. And and so in other states, I imagine that are that are red leaning also, the other ones have these 24 abortion uh, uh, trigger laws ready to go. Like that means that in each of those states, the number of abortion, the abortion is is illegal um, and and there will be, you know, kind of steps for that. But I guess what I'm asking is, like, does this impact the total number of abortions that happens? I mean, because are we just going to see the blue states double down? And, and just blow through that age of viability and just kind of create more clinics on their borders um, just to be ready to for people to be bussed in. Um, it, I guess practically, how do, you, how do you see this playing out with, with the total number of abortions that happen in the country? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, certainly our hope long-term is that we have a federal law or a federal constitutional amendment that protects life. Certainly that's not what we're getting right now but and so that is going to be a challenge you know will the overall number of abortions be decreased um you know it, it's a somewhat unprecedented situation so it's hard for me to, to to give you an accurate answer on that all i can do is make a make a conjecture on it you know mm -hmm. i will tell you that what we've seen in texas with their heartbeat bill is that uh, there have been a big decrease in abortions in texas based on their numbers there have been women coming to other states. I, I will certainly will say that. Now, interestingly, in 
2021 in Louisiana, there were 7,444 abortions in 2021. In 2020, there were 7,448. It almost seems like how could they be so close? Uh, what that's telling me is that abortion has been decreasing in Louisiana over the since really 2014, a, a larger since 1990, but in this situation, uh, at least since 2014. So I think that trend continued. Yes, we did have a little bit of an uptick of abortions in Louisiana from out of state, but do I think it was such an amount, probably combined with Oklahoma and maybe Arizona or New Mexico, that it equated to the number of abortions that would have happened in Texas had abortion been uh, completely legal in Texas? I don't think so. I think there were lives saved in Texas. I think oftentimes, uh, you know, we got to keep in mind that most women don't want to have an abortion. They're mm -hmm. not like waking up saying, yay, I'm going to have an abortion, right? It's right. a it's a situation where they, they have emotional, financial uh, challenges in their life, and they think that abortion is their best choice. I think a law that protects abortion provides more of a pause and more of a chance for, uh, you know, for a woman to access services at a pregnancy center or other places. And those numbers of, of visits in Texas and even in surrounding states have increased. So I do not think it's going to be uh, an overall that it's going to be the same number of abortions. Women are just going to go to other states. I think there will be a decrease. Will abortion stop? Of course not. Right. Uh, that's certainly not going to be the way. And look, uh, there are a lot of things in society that are illegal that still happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's we all know that's how it is. I think what we I think the conversation can quickly change to, well, women are still going to be having abortions, so what's the big deal? We have to keep in mind, though, that what we've accomplished possibly in the next two months in a state like Louisiana is uh, the law changing from permitting the legal action of another human being, changing, not permitting that. Uh, I mean, that's the restoration of the civil and legal rights of a whole sect of human beings. Hmm. I think, I just don't think we can overlook the significance of that moment for us as a people, as a nation. And um, yes, we're going to still, there's going to a lot of work to still be done to help women, to support them, to help women and men to provide resources and alternatives and adoptions so that women don't feel like they have to drive to another state or uh, you know, try to get these black market abortion pills that they're gonna be taking without a doctor's prescription, without a doctor's examination. So um, in short, I think there's gonna be a little, there's gonna be a decrease. I don't think it's gonna be such a decrease that it's gonna be uh, you know, like going to zero. And I still think we have a lot of work to do to help and support and provide alternatives. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, because I think like, I mean, you're already kind of hinting at it that um, most women who are in these circumstances are not, who are choosing an abortion aren't, aren't in a place where they really want to choose it. Um, and, you know, as I followed the news coverage over the last few days, and I've been seeing the comments um, on social media from, you know, the, the, both the left and the right, but, but particularly in the, on the images that are being used with regards to people who are pro-abortion, and, and a lot of it, it's just like all the, the talking tropes are, are, are coming back, obviously. You know, like uh, this is a white man's law um, that's against my body. 
um, and and et cetera, et cetera. And really, what it what I've been thinking about is that again, like, and, and I tell you, like, I, I'm on the show. I have other episodes. I'd like to encourage people to check out. I had an episode with um, Angie Thomas, who works for you now, uh, talking about the, the precedents here, how abortion became legal. But then also my conversation last year with uh, Sarah Denny um, on her research project that she's doing on on comparing Margaret Sanger's um, philosophy to John Paul II's philosophy of freedom. And in that episode particularly, really it kind of clicked for me that like that's what that's what they feel, the, the pro-abortion proponents, is that this is an affront to their freedom in the sense that we've the, this is the lie. The lie is that we have fundamentally convinced um, pro-abortion advocates in, in this country that this technology, abortion, this procedure, and, and even contraception before it, but abortion, is necessary for a woman to be able to achieve the goals of her life. That it's necessary for her to be able to achieve the freedom and the direction that she seeks to have in her life. And and that's just a lie. Um, because we that's not... In the, because... Because you don't need that to be able to still achieve freedom. And it, that suppression or that violence towards her sexual organs and her and her and her and her and her her her, her femininity, I guess, um, is is I don't know, like it's almost like, you know, we, we just want to deal like the, the best way to deal with the complexity of, of of the women's fertility cycle is just to completely eradicate it and that's that's what we've set up as being that's the way that you're going to be able to have the freedoms and the equal opportunities that you have as men when rather we can have a better option which is how about we respect women's fertility cycle and help them better understand the nature of it and as well as the consequences of it both men and women of course with this act the sexual act but then encouraging that and supporting that and when babies come being able to support women with greater maternity leave, et cetera, those type of things to be able to help them in other ways without having to exalt this procedure, this violence um, against a woman as being the thing that that is going to be the thing that gives women freedom. And so this, this, it's like this battle of ideology that, that has just become, I mean, we've been having it, but now in the last few days, it's just come even more so into the forefront. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, I'm, what are your thoughts? I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's almost like this conversation in society has become so uh, biased. You could argue on both sides, right? right. That there's really no authentic conversation that happens in the public square on abortion Correct. between sides, in a sense. It doesn't happen in Congress. Um, there's so much unreasonable discussion that that and not just like unreasonable from but like without reason it happens you know mm -hmm. i mean for example the, the the conversation that this is a white man's law it doesn't matter that if we had no men in like if we banished men from the pro-life movement like a hundred percent it doesn't matter that every almost every legislator we choose or, or work with to carry these laws is a woman it it, it still becomes that narrative and uh it, it, it's hard to have these productive conversations in society that would achieve some sort of of conversation. It's, I mean, it's my hope that the that the middle of the country kind of maybe sees through both sides a little bit and comes to the understanding that it's not the way that that especially the pro-abortion side puts it out there and, and and comes to the realization that it's not as 
that we're not entering into Armageddon or the end of the world mm -hmm. right now because that's what is being portrayed by the other side. And that's what, uh, you know, with a national election coming in a few months, uh, you know, with a presidential election two years after that, uh, you know, with the U.S. filibuster in place still, even and as President Biden becomes even more walking towards removing the Senate filibuster, you know, there's there's so much political consequences in this that uh, I, I think the other side understands the political lens of what's happening and what they need to happen to accomplish their goals. And I, I, it's just my hope that the middle of America sees through that, and that's almost. Uh, you know, there's probably no amount of money or ads or anything like that that we could put out to try to temper that. Uh, it's going to come down to the reasonableness. I don't even know if that's a word of American, <laughs> the American people, to to realize that you know abortion's not necessary in, especially in the manner in which the pro-abortion industry is wanting it to be right now for Americans. And uh, and I think the the, the people. The women who have had stories of of feeling like abortion was their only option and then choosing life and then showing how they are right now i mean that's what we need that's the message that we need to get out there's this wonderful woman named kim schultz who uh she lives in mandeville and in high school she was pregnant at bonneville high school and this is all public so i'm not betraying any trust mm -hmm. but she is pregnant in high school is encouraged to have abortion she chooses against it places her child for adoption an open adoption. She has a positive relationship for this young man who's just graduating college right now, but she also now has a successful family. She has a successful job and, um, you know, and she is, her face is full of joy, uh, you know, and I pit that against the women who have had abortions, who share the angst and the, uh, the hurt they have. And, and not only if you look at it that way, but if you look at even pro-abortion proponents, uh, who uh, come at this from such an angry perspective that you see kind of the tale of two sides on this and the two options that uh, one, yes, it's challenging in the moment and there's always going to be challenges, but there's there's unexpected joy that can come in the end. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we hope happens more and more. And so if the if the stopgap immediate reactionary option of abortion is not there, then these other options, uh, I pray and hope, can flourish even more. Yeah, me too. Well, when you were saying earlier in terms of like, you know, forcing, it, this is this is what I appreciate about the overturning of this is two things. Obviously, the abortion piece, but just also the restoration of, of states' rights here, right, rights here and, and bringing this back down to the state level and letting states be able to decide. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. And so allowing then conversation to happen again. Um, it's like when you were saying before, we would get into these these battles, these ideological battles about you know uh, pro abortion, and, you know against abortion or whatever. And it's almost like it was for me. It almost felt like a mute point because it was like, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, Roe v. Wade is intact, and and abortion is legal in this country, and and does it really matter? Well, now that that protection is 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 lifted, so to speak, and it brings it back down to the states to actually have conversation then it forces dialogue now. It forces discussion about this issue um, in a way that hopefully is, isn't just going back to rhetoric or to talking points, um, it, and that actually requires genuine dialogue about you know why this is wrong, 
and what we can do to help women um, on the other side of an abortion, or even before, like you've been saying, that if 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 it isn't a quick option for them, then being able to provide um, other resources that hopefully can give them time to be able to reconsider uh, their decision should they want to get an abortion um, by traveling to another state. Um, and so I, I guess that's, maybe I'm being op- I'm optimistic, but again, you know, the way we see the news cycle kind of operating right now is that anything that happens that runs contrary to the narrative that that particular agency, news agency wants to support, it's like it's like the end of the world. You know, it's like Armageddon, like you said, and it's the apocalypse right. coming. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Maybe it's not maybe it's not that for everybody. Maybe everybody isn't, right. isn't up in arms like this. Maybe maybe this forces us to actually have discussions with with people that we disagree with and and actually come to some type of you know reconciliation about things. And maybe I'm being I know I'm being too overly optimistic right now. No, I don't but, I don't think you are. I mean, I've talked to people about that in the past few weeks that you know, there's going to be a number of states like Louisiana that pass a pro-life law. There's going to be states like Colorado and California, mm-hmm. New York that have strong pro-abortion laws. But then there's going to be states that are up for grabs in a sense. I mean, right. Florida is a great example right now. Florida has a, a, a constitutional provision through a Supreme Court precedent that protects a right to abortion in the state of Florida. Even though you would say, well, Florida looks like it's more Republican, but there's a lot of work that has to be done in Florida to change that Supreme Court precedent. So the state of Florida, I mean, it's almost like the concept of pro-life evangelism becomes real right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. It, it, the Supreme Court has squelched the conversation. Why would I, if I lived in uh, anywhere, why would I go about having these conversations about abortion with people that are just going to, that aren't going to get us anywhere? Well, now, the question comes to the people and we have a chance to change hearts and minds. So I, I think in, in states it's, it's the, and I, you know, it's almost like in, in these states, I wish we'd done all this groundwork and maybe some states we have because we need pro-life people who are uh, equipped and who can speak in a compassionate yet compelling manner uh, to their friends and family because it's time that we look at this is going to become about it's going to become numbers right can we convince a majority of each of these states to be pro-life it's going to come down to 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 hand-to-hand combat uh, from a positive perspective you know that and even in states like take a state like uh, massachusetts right i mean certainly you would expect them to be more pro-abortion leaning but there's a lot of faith background in a state like that. I mean, in fact, they defeated a ballot initiative uh, legalizing assisted suicide there. So there's some flicker of hope, and it should motivate people of faith and just of people of goodwill who want to protect a, a basic fundamental right to life. That they need to go out and it, be a pro-life evangelist in a sense. And I think that's going to become a priority. And I hope it becomes a priority for the church that they equip and prepare people to be advocates. Yeah. Amen. And enforcing this conversation and, and allowing people to to vote, you know, again. Um, you know, I, anyways, it, 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 another issue, but I, I we'll, we'll go down that just yet. Well, I, I'll just say this. I guess it's it's the, like when, 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 when homosexuality and homosexual marriage became legal in the country, there were a number of states that had already voted at the state level amendments or laws saying that, you know, in this state it isn't. And um, and then when the Supreme Court just came down and just kind of squashed all that, I was like, well, you know, there goes states' rights again. You know, it's not just about homosexual marriage. It's also about the process upon this, the, that these things kind of happen. 
And so again, for me, looking at this being like, okay, well, now we're putting the power back into the people, back into the states, back into the, the capacity to be able to, to vote and to have genuine conversation, which is what's supposed to happen as we, as we get to these places. What's going on, everybody? Just taking a quick break here from my conversation with Ben Clapper to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. Listen, this conversation about abortion is uh, certainly a very contentious issue, but something that we have to just be well aware of what the nuance is in the argument within ourselves in terms of how we as pro-life people argue for it, but also how we come to understand the arguments against uh, um, the pro-life movement from pro-abortionists. And so if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, then I want to encourage you to check out a couple episodes that I have with the Always Hope podcast. Um, Episode 82 that I did with Sarah Denny is a wonderful episode where she gets into the inner thought of Margaret Sanger and comparing her understanding of human freedom with John Paul II's understanding of human freedom. And Sarah does a beautiful job helping us to be able to see what Margaret Sanger was going after when she started Planned Parenthood. And so you want to check out that episode, episode 82. Second episode I want to recommend is episode 44, which is on how abortion became legal. That's with Angie Thomas, where we get into an understanding of the legal backgrounds and how we actually got to this point in 1973 where Roe versus Wade became the law of the land. But even understanding the philosophy or the legal side, we of course have to be able to grow an understanding of how to help women and men after they've had an abortion, after women have had an abortion and, and men who um, have, 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 have experienced partners or spouses who have had one. And so that would be episode 23, Healing After an Abortion or Miscarriage with Michaeline Friedenberg. Episode 23 is another great episode where we really talk about her ministry and her work, um, helping with life perspectives, helping individuals heal after a, a trauma such as an abortion. So check out those episodes. Again, episode 82, episode 44, episode 23. You can see those on, on any podcast app, as well as on, on our website, faithandmarriage.org. And so let's get back into this conversation with Ben Clapper. And so I guess, you know, you kind of said this earlier, but with regards to kind of what's next and that being the question here, I mean, it, it seems like with the filibuster, you said Biden's thinking about it, but Mnuchin has said he's not, he's not voting for it from what I've heard. Um, right. I mean, and to get the 60 votes that they need to to pass a law, ban you know making uh, abortion the the law of the land, it doesn't seem like they have the votes for that. Is is that right? Or I mean, are we reading yeah, the tea leaves here? Yeah, and I don't I don't think they have the votes for that. And if let's say Republicans were to take over the Senate at some point, I I don't think they're going to have the votes for it either. You know, we're going to likely the structure of the U.S. Senate is going to leave. I think federal law in America and constantly this, you know, this this wishy-washy, it's going to take a pro-life revival, and I hate to sound kind of uh, uh, hokey in a sense, but it's going to take a, 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 a national revelation to the sense of the, the dignity and value of the human person and uh, for our country to take a step forward to a place where we can protect life. Now, I think that it's important when we're speaking federally and in some of these middle ground states to keep in mind that we can't let the perfect become the enemy of the good in the situation. 
right? Um, you know, there's going to be a, a temptation to say, well, if we can't protect every life in the federal government or in a state like Massachusetts, we shouldn't be, you know, it's all or nothing. And, you know, we when we live in a democracy in a world like America, we can't we can't operate in that uh, in that mode of operation because it's going to be hard to be successful right now. So I think we need to be prepared to take the victories that we can take, move the ball down the field and first downs federally and in these other states and uh, with a focus that we have to till the soil. If we're not tilling the soil of our nation on this issue, then we will lose in our country. And, um, you know, there's a there's a tendency and, and I'm, maybe I'm getting on my soapbox here, but for our churches and our and our people to want to do all the the church issues and the, all the things that maybe are a little more comfortable for us to do. Right. Staying inside the walls of our churches. But we have to think and, and kind of take our church, open the doors, and we need to go out and engage and evangelize for the pro-life message because we got to till the soil of our country, of these other states. That's our hope long-term if we're going to look towards a federal protection. But yeah, I think in the short term, the uh, the pro-abortion leadership right now of the House and Senate doesn't have the votes to make a big change. And likely, even if Republicans were going to take over in the fall, uh, you know, they're not going to have the votes to make a change. And certainly they don't have the White House on their side right now. So, uh, you know, I, I, we just we just got to be prepared for the long term education that has to happen in order to change our country uh, long term. What's the total number of abortions that's happened since 1973? Do you know? It's definitely over 63 million. I, I can't remember. You know, I know in Louisiana it's 500 see if I can get this say I need to go back to this third no, grade no. to read my long numbers right 534,000 <laughs> abortions uh, and if that's how many abortions have happened in Louisiana from 1973 to through 2021 534,000 abortions so if we just say with 63 million as the big number here across the country um, that's uh, I mean <clears throat> that's unconscionable and just to be able to like wrap your brain around that is 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 horrifying. I mean, we can't. And so I think about that even for pro-abortion, you know, proponents who, again, being a therapist and understanding trauma, how trauma works, and and even when we commit, you know, gr- egregious acts, sometimes we we create these defense mechanisms and these protections around our own psyche because sometimes we can't even um, believe the things that we've done when we've created, when we've done major, major offenses like this. And I'm speaking as an understatement. I mean, 63 million children is, um, there's just no words for it. And so sometimes I wonder, like, is it just that, this is why it comes back to this argument of when does life begin? And and because if, if you can convince yourself, well, it wasn't 63 million children, it was 63 million, I don't even know, uh, you know, clumps of cells and they want to be that crass either but potential the, the potential of life was there but life itself hadn't quite happened yet and so I guess there's kind of wordsmithing that but you wordsmith it as a way to to try to justify your actions um, 
which again, I understand. I'm not saying that in a judgment. I, I, I can I, I can commit sins in my own personal life and justify it as much as I want. You know, I'm like, oh well, you know, I I, I ate too much during uh, during Easter. Well, because it's Easter week and we're supposed to kind of let go a little bit, you know. So I can, but that's not permission to be gluttonous um, or 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 something of that nature. I know that's that's a that's a silly example, but but we can justify anything, you know, within our own within our own reason, and and that's why this goes back to this conversation of like. What you're saying in terms of pro-life evangelization, it you know what the what the church communicates repeatedly is that the 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 path to freedom is the formation of conscience. So the path to freedom isn't contingent on technology, isn't even contingent on circumstances, it isn't even contingent on culture, it's not contingent on time or space. What it's contingent on is on on our ability to grow and to form our conscience in a way that we are becoming more like Christ. And so that our mind becomes more like Christ's mind, that our will becomes more like Christ's will, that our actions and our desires become more like Christ's actions and desires. And so that process is an arduous and it's a long process. And so anybody, whether they're pro-abortion or truthfully, even in the church sometimes with the prosperity gospel stuff, which is, I know, completely the other end of the spectrum, politically speaking, anybody that purports that there's a quick shortcut to freedom or a quick shortcut to just do this one thing or accomplish this one task, um, that that's going to be the thing that's going to unlock human freedom in your life is just a farce. It's a lie. It's a bill of goods. Um, so, so when we speak about an evangelization here, this is what we're talking about is, is committing ourselves to say, well, then let's ask the question. The deeper question that's being entertained here is, well, what does freedom really look like? What does it look like for women? What does it look like for men? What is it? What does opportunity look like for women? And what does it look like for men? And, and what are the barriers to that? And then how do we genuinely set our sights on what those barriers are and commit ourselves to that and not just justifying our actions? I mean, like history will not be kind to the fact when we come to an awakening, which will happen because the truth will reveal itself. The truth always reveals itself. And at some point in history, we will look back on this and say, we killed 63 million people for what? For what? For what? What was what was the rationale that was significant enough to justify such actions? And the truth is there is none. And and that's what's hard about living in a day and age like now. Because um the sins are 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 there. And uh that blood is on us too. You know, we live in this country and um and it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying when I think about it. Mm, yeah, and we, we like to think that you know, the, the Bible and the Old Testament was this like separate universe, right? This, right. I mean, conversations about the, the way God's blessings weren't on places that uh, where uh, where the innocent blood was being shed, you know? And, um, you know, we, we think about that from a theological perspective, but, you know, uh, and obviously I, I, I the, and I'm not downplaying the children that are lost to abortion, but also thinking about just the impact, you would know this from your position the impact it's had on individual lives and the 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 actions of their lives that have then been precipitated based on this abortion in fact this man i met in january in lake charles uh he shared this story that i had never heard a story but he uh, when he was in college uh, his girlfriend had an abortion he didn't know about it he didn't pay for it he found out about it she told him after the fact and uh, he then told the story about how his life completely fell apart um and it's uh it was just like such a tragic story i mean 
he uh, he went into drugs he went into alcohol he dropped out of school and i mean he shares that it was all immediately precipitated by that abortion uh, and uh, he, he was just so broken over it uh, thankfully years later it was on he was laying on the floor uh, um, almost overdosing on drugs uh, when it just kind of hit him god's love for him and the forgiveness that he had to accept for this and he it was at that he was thinking while laying on the floor he was thinking of that child he was thinking of that woman and um, you know thankfully he's turned his life around through god's assistance but uh just the all the so many things and troubles in so many people's lives in this nation uh, I, i believe if we could see with the lord's eyes we would see the pain and the trauma that abortion has wrought across our land and we just we don't appreciate it and we don't see it but i believe it's there and um and almost we all think abortion is a big deal right but i think if we saw with god's eyes we'd realize how much it's even more of a big deal if, if we could even say it like that yeah correct i mean so so trauma what Trauma does a lot of things to the person, but um, the, one of the worst things, and I think I said, somebody said this, I don't remember if it was on my podcast or I read this somewhere, but um, but one of the greatest, um, I guess, it, problems of trauma is that it robs us of our strength and it robs us of our of our potential and our capacities to be able to to actualize, I guess, the, you know, the, 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 the best for us because when we're traumatized, um, we, we live in a state of fear or in a state of regret. And sometimes when that trauma becomes so significant, um, we, we, we forget it, we block it, and, and uh, we disassociate from it. And not even just in terms of disassociative, in, in extreme cases, disassociative identity disorder is a result of se- severe trauma where you get into like multiple personalities and things of that nature. But even well before we get to that type of cognitive break, if, if we've done this, what I was trying to say earlier is, is if we've committed great trauma, or we've experienced traumas, sometimes our, our brain as a protective mechanism um, will will forget those things and will block those things, but but still it'll emerge in, in different places. And so so the work of healing is exactly what, what this gentleman did, which is that, you know, in this act of prayer, God came to him and, and he chose to forgive himself. He accepted God's mercy, forgave the woman, and was able to then by processing and accepting and assimilating that traumatic experience into his heart, into his life, that's what allowed him to kind of move forward. But again, it requires a, go back to this, that formation of conscience, of thinking, you know, that in fact I have done something wrong because if you don't think that you've done something wrong, then then it's hard for you to feel any sense of guilt about it. But inherently we, see, but this is what I would even argue, even at the, I would, I would, I would imagine that anybody who's committed this act at some point in their heart of hearts would, would feel a sense of guilt about it. And if they don't, then because it's such a, a significant thing, then are we just encouraging people to to sociopathy, you know, which is just letting go, disregarding that sense of empathy or compassion within themselves or the sense of guilt and just cutting themselves completely from that. Um, so again, I reiterate that 
the, the good here is that we have a path of being able to actually have these conversations in a way that's meaningful and substantial now. Because I, I reiterate that before it felt like we'd have these discussions and people are like, well, it doesn't really matter. Roe versus Wade is, you know, it's there. So it really, it's a mute point. It's like, it's not a mute point anymore. Like we can, we can talk about this. We can encourage people. We can, we can evangelize. We, we can form consciences um, to the best that we possibly can and to share the stories as you've been talking about. Now, I want to shift gears here for the last few minutes, you know, of our discussion because the other side of this story, and I really want to get your hear your take on this, is is the leak itself. This is unprecedented um, in the history of the Supreme Court. Um, I know Justice Roberts right now we're we're just a few days removed from from this, so we'll, obviously this is a developing part of the story, and we'll get more of this in the next few months as they come to greater clarity of it, but. What is your your thought about the leak itself and the impact that that's having on on our democracy, on the Supreme Court, on on the the court's rulings, hearings, deliberations? Um, just kind of what what are some preliminary thoughts that you have about the leak itself? Yeah, well, certainly this is all my conjecture, right? So I sure. have no. This is not official Louisiana right to like position or anything <laughs> like that. So. You know, certainly uh, uh, for America, the, the leak is disappointing, right? Uh, and so that is really disappointing that it would have happened and that we would have been having this conversation. So, I, I mean, and look, uh, I'm just guessing I, I have to believe that the person who leaked this decision either was in it for money and got a payday from the leak or they were in it because they felt so committed to the pro-abortion position that they had to do something to try to affect the trajectory of what was occurring. Right. As I talked about, you had all these deliberations within the court before they accepted the case. The idea that you have any of these justices change their mind based on all of those tea leaves, even though we have seen justices change their mind, it just it just seems hard to imagine that occurring. It seems outside of my rational capacity to understand how that might occur. So I have to imagine then that individual is looking to create controversy surrounding this. Um, you know, sadly, this, there's been this perception in America, uh, based from the media and from the pro-abortion side, that somehow if the Supreme Court writes the wrong of Roe v. Wade, then it is making a political decision, right? <laughs> and the idea that that any consideration that Roe v. Wade itself was the political decision that was wrong, that conversation has almost been taken off the table in this sense. So what people are now trying to say is that this, the court is a political court, and the only reason they're making this decision is because Trump got to put these justices in. So people can't even go to the next step is that, well, maybe the court is doing what it should have done all along and making this decision. And from Justice Alito's draft, he says that. He says, I can't predict how this decision gets accepted in society. That's not our job as Supreme Court justices. That's not who we are. That's not our responsibility. Our job is to interpret the Constitution and to and to be that apolitical uh, group. And that's what they're doing by this. I mean, this is not a politically smart decision for the court, right? I mean, their lives are in jeopardy. I believe they are. They are exposing themselves there are they're going to be facing this quote-unquote question of the legitimacy of the court whereas in our mind this is the most legitimate thing the court could do to take itself out of this situation so interestingly i almost think the leak is backfiring on the this individual if, if that individual's thought was that they were somehow going to change the decision 
then I have to imagine this only solidifies at least five votes on this court. What justice after this is going to be leaked is going to change their mind. I, I, I mean, I just yeah, I just can't yeah. fathom that, that that that's going to occur in this situation. So maybe they knew that and therefore it was only to create controversy uh, or maybe for selfish gain in this situation. But uh, I do agree with Justice Roberts that this is a, a, a challenge for the court. This 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 is going to the legitimacy of the court is going to is tested in this situation. Um, I, I think let's give thanks to Joe Manchin from West Virginia. I mean, he is the he is the only thing standing right now between the packing of the U.S. Supreme Court by being firm on the filibuster. Because, um, you know, the, the other side is going to want as much controversy as they can possibly muster from the situation so that they can try to bring down the fabric of the country. They're going to try to uh, take this and move it into the election and trying to take the Senate even stronger. So anyway, uh, I guess in conclusion, the leak is disappointing. It's concerning, though I think it backfires for the people who put it into place. And so you say you think it backfires because... The, the five Supreme Court justices are going to double down on, on it. And and I've just doubled down, but like, it's the wrong word. I mean, the whole purpose of the private deliberations, and listen, I'm, I'm one who typically is in favor of transparency and openness, but I understand this is, again, this is the, the dummies interpretation of all this stuff. I don't, I, my doctorate's in counseling, not in anything legal. Okay. So, so you tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but my understanding well, is I that, don't have any doctorates. So yeah. uh, we're, on, we're on even footing. <laughs> so, but like, it, well, I'll just say having a, all having a doctorate means is that you actually know what it takes to know something. That's what I learned. I became more humble on the other side. I was like, oh, that's what it takes to actually learn something. Okay. I don't know anything about a lot of stuff. So, so <laughs> I could say I know something about counseling and about attachment theory, but I can't say I know anything about anything else because I haven't, I haven't done the research involved in it. So, and, and parentheses. So with, with this issue, um, that, it, to, to keep the court from being apolitical, you have to keep those deliberations private because if not, then unlike deliberations that happen in the Senate or in uh, or in the House of Representatives at ver- at every level, whether it's the federal or state level, deliberations happen and you know they get swayed by conversations that are happening, politicking or uh, or certain interest groups or or uh, different you know benefactors or things of that nature that that all become part of the conversation because that's the way the democracy works is that there's a, there are representatives and so they should be open to listening to the people to be able to hear their opinions and thoughts to to help sway certainly um, the, the their representation to be to be accurate um, for whatever that is for whatever the issue is but the court is supposed to exist apart from that which is why these deliberations are, are intended to be private so that they're free from those. Uh, those uh, those factors, um, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we they need to be able to release their decisions and not think about how many votes they're going to have to get and um, you know the ramifications on society. Because I mean, if you look back to the 1992 decision, Planned Parenthood vs. Casey, it seems that what swayed Justice O'Connor was this concept that that abortion is a crutch for America right now. That America depends on abortion, and, um, and that's. That seems to me that's not the job of the Supreme Court. You know, I mean that that just seemed, yeah. So yeah, yeah I agree you just with need you. A it needs to be behind uh, closed doors so that they know what they're doing. Now you, you got to think these justices uh, give pause behind closed doors about what they write, 
even if it, if they know, well, I know this might not come out in the final draft, but I need to put it in there for my colleagues. Well, now they're going to take a step back and be like, hey, I should I should I write this? You know, well, that that uh, makes me sad, truthfully, because you hear stories of um, and I can't remember who, but you hear stories of how they they genuinely have relationships with one another like they're like that. Right. The Supreme Court, even though they may be ideologically different. By and large, they, they still try to have a sense of camaraderie and collegiality within themselves that even if they disagree on certain issues or on rulings, that they still, I don't know, get together or talk or, again, I'm not sure, I'm sure they're not BFFs, I'm not, I'm not promoting that, but at well, least Well, you know, this, it was always stated, Justice, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Scalia that that's traveled it. together. Yep. Opera, you see this picture of them on an elephant in India together. I mean, yep, yep. Uh, I mean, you couldn't get two more diametrically opposed than those two. That's yeah, right. there was this sense of collegiality. I would, I would hope and pray that Justice Ginsburg is rolling over in her grave, thinking I hope that, so. that this that this has occurred and this has happened. Now yeah. she might obviously not have liked the decision Alito was about to release, but I certainly think she'd be more disappointed in what's happened to the court today. Yeah, because some of these procedures and they're, 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 the structures are meant for protection. Um, yeah. And we can't just obliterate it, which is why the filibuster packing the court or just because as soon as you do that, then it's just like, well, you know, what 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 stops us? And the, the beauty of this country is that we have checks and balances across the board, that the, that the, t- the temptation that the founding fathers understood was that power is seductive. And anybody who gets into a seat of power, the temptation, the perennial temptation of anybody in power is to always want more. And so it doesn't matter how virtuous you are as a person, it doesn't matter how good you are as a person, the temptation is always there. This is this is the the central mark of the Lord of the Rings, right? You know, we think of like the-, the Yeah, the, I was the, thinking the, of the same thing. Yeah, you know, Gandalf's like, don't tempt me, Frodo. You know, with that, I think I would want to do good, but, but I would in fact do evil. And so the founding fathers understood that. And so they're like, well, how do we stop that and still run a country? Well, let's let's break that power up and and make it very very difficult for any one person or any one group or any one ideology to to just run watershed over it and to be able to just do whatever they want um and so that's why we have the system that we have which is at times i get it dysfunctional or um or slow um or convoluted but those convolutions are all there intentionally because if it was too efficient, then it'd be too easy for somebody just to kind of step in and just do whatever the heck that they want. That there's supposed to be breaks and checks and balances across the board, whether that's at the federal level or at the state level. And then even within the state level, the division of power within the states and at the federal level. I mean, the reason that's so complicated is to, my understanding again, is to say that we have to have these protections in place and we can't just we can't just bully or bulldoze this 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 structure for the sake of of just getting whatever it is that we want politically. Because great, you may win now, but four years from now, when uh, an election sway the other way, all you've done is then is then what given a manuscript or protection for somebody else to do it the other way that they want. So that's why, like, it has to be um, done this way, as frustrating as it may be. Um, it's the only way to protect um, an abuse of power, which is still obviously still happening because we're all still human. Okay. All right, uh, Ben. Absolutely. Uh- Go yeah, ahead. you might be almost dumb, but no. No, you're no, good. Just, you're uh, good. Say what you got to say. Uh, yeah. No, no, just uh, I agree with you 100%. And it's frustrating when we we are promoting and trying to advance what's right, you know, that um, that, that, that that system will, will be a stumbling block towards us accomplishing the goal, which we believe is a goal which is right, good, true, and beautiful, you know. 
the success of the pro-life movement we believe is true good and beautiful it's 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 true it's the right thing to do but the our our government complicates that uh but it's a reminder that we uh it's our job is not just to be done through the political lens but it's to be done through the hearts and minds of the citizens of this people and also it, it's a key, it's a reminder that you know look we're on this side of eternity right and um, you know, until Christ comes again, there's, a, there's always going to we're always going to be a work in progress, and um, so we have to keep that in mind. And uh, you know, Mother Teresa said we're not called to be successful; we're called to be faithful, and that's what we got to keep in mind and be faithful to the mission we've been given. Yeah, Amen, Amen. Well, the Lord has given you a good mission. So for you, you. what is what is next? Let's say the decision is 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 final. Um, you know. Are you retired? Well, Kristen what, what, says what, 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 I'm good at washing, di- washing dishes, so maybe I'll just go get a job washing dishes somewhere or something. So. No, uh, look, I mean, you know what? We have to make sure this everything is put in place legally in the state. Um, we have to continue to – we're working hard to get the state to increase re- state resources that go to alternatives to abortion and adoption promotion. So we have to continue to build a pro-life society in Louisiana, right? Um, and then third, uh, we're going to have to do everything that we can to support other states and uh, I hope train Louisianians to go to other states to be part of uh, pro-life victory in other states. That sounds good. So no, no riding off in the sunset just yet is what you're saying? No, 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 <laughs> not, not just yet, no. No cruise around the world just yet with you and the girls? <laughs> well, I don't know. If someone wants to make that possible, I'm not going to say no. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give your think... email at the end of, of the show so people can send that email to you to send you yeah, that maybe benefit. Give you my Venmo, and everyone can help me go on a cruise. Yeah. No, you know it. It, it is. I, I just imagine for you, and you, this is we'll bring the conversation full circle. That there's an element of this that's very surreal. You know that you've been working hard at this as a reality, wondering if it ever would would happen. Um, and here it is. Um, so, you know, any final thoughts with that, Ben, you know, as you kind of reflect? Yeah, well, first, I, you know, we're kind of, we've been joking, but I want to acknowledge that there's people suffering, there's women and men suffering who are facing uh, unplanned pregnancies, who sure, have had abortions sure, in the past. Sure. And I'm not in any way trying to be trivial about the challenges me, me neither, that me they neither. have. Me and, and I know that. And I just want to make sure that, that, no, that appreciate that's that. clear. And that uh, w- the work we have yet to do is still important, but... Uh, as I said earlier, you know, our government, the, I, the concept that we've had a nation that for nearly 50 years has told us that one class of human beings can be killed with no questions asked, can be dismembered, can be treated as medical waste. That's what's been the law of America for nearly 50 years. And we, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, but we cannot miss this moment right now as what is about to happen, that a state of Louisiana is gonna be able to say that every one of its citizens, born and unborn, has liberty and justice, right? Not just for some, but for all. And to me, I, I think we can't we can't forget this moment about that and, and then know that this is the way it should be and that we have to continue to protect life and help mothers after the fact as well. But that, I guess, if you're talking personally for me, yes, there's this, uh, that is, that's a beautiful thing. That's something to celebrate. And uh, that certainly is uh, very edifying for me as an individual to know that, that we're making a step in that direction right now. Praise the Lord. 
Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and again, certainly, you know, not wanting to say that our, our humor is to be um, uh, tactless or, or not taking into consideration, obviously, the, the challenges that, that we're experiencing. And so I love what you said, which is that there is something beautiful to celebrate here, which is that that finally, you know, we can see that that all life is sacred um, and that that no class of life is 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 viewed as being less than another. And with that, though, there's still, as you said, 50 years of, of this. So it's going to take time for these conversations, for the conscience to continue to be formed, as we've been saying, but then also to be able to be attentive into helping those women and men um, that pursue this as an option illegally in the state um, and to and to continue to support um, them and their needs even after the fact and making sure that um, the best that we can do in this state and certainly in our country is to continue to help those in need and to give them better options um, when they are facing need and better resources to be able to, to get out of uh, the poverty or the circumstances that they're facing. So Ben, I, I certainly appreciate you, you being on the show. Um, if uh, anybody has any questions or comments, I, I can people, I, I don't know, uh, I'll put a link to Pro-Life Louisiana yeah, you know, our, on the show our, notes. Our, yeah, Louisiana Rights Life's website is mm-hmm. is out there. My email address is on there. Our, our office number is on there. So feel free to, uh, to reach out. Uh, and uh, I, I hope everyone else asks themselves, you know, you know, praise, you know, what's my job? What's my responsibility from this? How can I be involved to to address all the things that we've been talking about and all these pregnancy centers in Louisiana and our country? I mean, they need your help now more than ever. You know, they need they need donations, they need volunteers, they need everything. So that's, you know, obviously we want people to help what we're doing, but those are the people on the front lines, uh, you know, the Women's New Life Clinics, the Access Pregnancy Center, uh, so many of them across the state. So uh, so my, my encouragement is for everyone to go find those people, donate to them, and find a way to help. Praise the Lord. Okay. Well, final question I ask all my first-time guests, Ben, what gives you hope? Well, right now, what gives me hope is, I mean, it's a pretty, this is a a, a softball for me right now, but what gives me hope is that our country may be on the precipice of, of overturning Roe v. Wade and, and all unborn children legally protected in Louisiana. That's what gives me hope today. Praise the Lord. All right, Ben, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Mario. All right, everybody. Well, that does it. Thank you so much for hanging in there all the way to the end. I reiterate what I said towards the end of the conversation. I was very grateful for Ben bringing us back. You know, my humor, I certainly never in any way want to make light of the circumstance that we are facing. Um, This certainly absolutely is a major, major issue um, as we are kind of beginning to to recognize the reality of both the the shift that needs to happen to, to bring abortion back down to the state level. But then, as I said throughout the episode, also recognizing that there's a lot of work that has to be done to take care of people's hearts and consciences so that we all collectively can come to understand that 63 million lives is a lot. And so certainly don't want my humor to be in any distraction towards that or to take away from the gravity of what we are experiencing and happening currently as our country. So I ask you, please, dear listener, to to pray, uh, continue to pray 
for our, our state legislatures, um, continue to pray for our government officials, and continue to pray for, for an end uh, to abortion in our country, as well as an end to poverty, um, an end to racism, and an end to anything that certainly is contrary to the pro-life movement, and anything that is contrary to understanding the, the human dignity um, that God has given to each and every single one of us, the profound dignity, excuse me, that God has given to each and every single one of us. So we have a lot of work to do, and uh, let's continue to do it together and to support one another as a church. Um, so thank you guys for being with me this episode. It was a very good one, and uh, I pray that you're having a great day. So be good and God bless. Mm-hmm.